like old people everything's old there's no hope everything is is grump inducing and there's no idea that God wants to transfigure what is old and make it perpetually fresh how many of us are holding on to a past that we didn't enjoy because it's all we have to cling to instead of the newness of life that is perpetually offered in Jesus When you're saved, the old man is left behind, but for some of us, we can still cling to that old man instead of newness in Jesus. Why do we do that? Today, Pastor Daniel will explain why we hold on to our past, even though we can be renewed daily in him. It's a word that's so encouraging when we're bogged down by troubles and consequences from past poor choices. You can be at peace, though. In him, there is mercy and hope and grace. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, Jesus is Greater Than Everything. The Apostle Paul wants to show us a different thing to rejoice in rather than the works of flesh. Look what he says in verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So instead of boasting in the things of our works, the works of our flesh, we're called to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we learn that the cross brings new creation. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about. It's about God saying, look, I want to do something brand new. I want to take you from being dead and I want to make you alive. I want to take you from being workspace to being grace-based. I want to hit the reset button on your life. Be a new creation. Now, what's interesting about this, we read it, but God forbid I boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not realize it, but the idea of the cross in the Roman culture that Paul was living and walking in, that people wouldn't even use the word cross. It was such an absolutely atrocious public form of of execution that in the proper ways that people talked in Roman culture, they wouldn't even say the word. They would call it a sad tree because it was such a provocative statement. And now Paul's not just talking about it. He's like, look, I make all of my boasts, all of my praise, everything that comes out of my mouth. The thrust of it is to make much of the fact that Jesus died on a cross for me. It wasn't unmentionable. He gloried in it. Why? Because the apostle Paul realized what the cross was all about. Now, in our day and age today, people still struggle with Christianity because of the cross. Why? What does the cross mean? The cross means first that humans have failed. That's what it means. That we are, the Bible calls it sinners. We've missed the mark. That every single person 
except for Jesus himself, has done something wrong. So first, it acknowledges that man is a sinner. Second, it acknowledges that there's nothing we can do to receive the forgiveness of God. No amounts of good works, no amounts of penance, no amounts of jail time. None of it will truly cause you to be able to pay back the debt of mistakes that we've made to God. And three, it teaches us that God loves us so much that God knew it and took care of it. That's what the cross is all about, that you fail even more than you realize, and that God loves you even more than you can fathom. And that's why the cross is so challenging, isn't it? Because we have to be honest, truly, humbly honest about what our mistakes cost the Lord. Someone's bound to say at this point, especially a contemporary person, they say, that's why I don't like Christianity. It's so negative. It's not negative. It's just plain honest. I could come up here and be like, look, I'm going out for Mr. Universe. Why are you guys laughing? I mean, look, look at this. You know I'm winning, right? If I came to you, they're like, we're going, these guys are like, we're going to the gym. Come on, Fusco, we got to work on. See, look, if I came to you and said, look, I'm going, I'm, I'm going out for the Mr. Universe competition, someone, if you love me, be like, so Fusco, listen, we, we got to start by going to the gym. And we're going to put you on the bench press. And we're going to try and help you get up 45 pounds. <laughs> right? If you get up 45 pounds, if you don't, we'll get to 50 and 55, right? Like, someone has to be honest and say, Fusco, you are not ready for the Mr. Universe. You're not even ready for the Mr. Battleground competition, okay? <laughs> Like straight up, right? And that's honest. It's not negative. That's just real life. If I said, look, I, I want to be in the NBA. I want to be a center. You guys are going to be like, Fusco, you are five foot seven. You don't even go up to those guys' waistlines as a center. You could even be a guard. That's just not, that's not negative. That's just honest. That's honest about the reality of the situation. And the cross is honest that you and I make mistakes. But it's not only honest and self-deprecating. At the same time that we are flawed, God's love is greater. Because God would say, look, yes, you got issues, but I love you more than you can ever imagine. So much so that I'm going to come on a rescue mission for you. And when that truth, yes, you're going to glory in that. You're going to glory and say, look, I make a million mistakes, but God loves me still. I fail in a million ways, but God is for me and not against me. And at the cross, God's love and his justice meet together. The truth that my mistakes cost, the, the wages of that is death. But God's love meets and says, look, I don't want you to bear that death. I want to give you new life instead. You see why Paul would say, look, I, I boast in the cross. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, listen. You're worse than you realize and God's love is greater than you realize. And God doesn't want you to get stuck on what you're not. God wants to say, look, I want you to step into what I'm recreating you to be. And it doesn't matter what your background is. See, at this point, there's always someone who's like, no, I've been... I've messed up too much. I've left too much carnage behind my life. And I'm here to tell you, listen, God knows everything about you. And Jesus still died. And on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And he wasn't just faking that it was finished. It's really finished. But notice what he says here. 
Because he boasts in the cross, he says, first, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, what Paul is saying is that because of the cross, I am dead to living a life in rebellion against God, and that life is dead to me. He's like, I no longer have those desires anymore because God has separated me from that life. And then he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That's why I say the cross brings a new creation. He's saying, look, legalism, none of it matters. If you get circumcised or not, doesn't matter. If you worship on this day or that day, doesn't matter. If you wear a suit to church or you wear jeans, if you grow dreadlocks or you have a good haircut, None of it matters. All that matters is what? A new creation. All that matters is that God can take a dead person and make them alive. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus and the spirit of God has taken up residence in your life, guess what? You're a new creation. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, if anyone's in Christ, what? They're a new creation. All things of what? Passed away. Behold, all things are made what? New. That's the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. Because you've been made a new creation, you're going to be different. You are going to be different because the old things are dead. You're like, man, I can't believe I used to do that stuff. And I can't believe I thought that was okay. But none of those things grab your salvation for you. All of those changes are us simply responding to Jesus because Jesus is like, look, you're brand new. You don't need to do that anymore. I mean, I love the video that we saw where they're like, look, I had to make some hard decisions. Amen. When you become brand new, decisions are in front of you. And those decisions aren't easy. They include your life, real life. But you start simply responding to Jesus, and you're like, oh, yeah. But you never think that because I did that, now I know that I'm right with God. You do those things because you are right with God. And that's been the whole letter, that God wants to make us brand new. Now, what's amazing is when people come to know Jesus and they start experiencing this brand new life, you still have issues with your past. And I've seen it here at Crossroads over the last couple of years. There's been a number of guys who've come in who give their lives to Jesus, but they have history. And it's amazing watching how God will take some of these guys and they'll say, and I've had it, they come and say, Pastor Daniel, I just gave my life to Jesus, but I have history. I got stuff I need to fix. A couple of guys had warrants out and all these things. And like, I just feel like God wants me to go and take care of this so that if God's made me new, I need to square my life away so that I can go forward. And it's amazing watching how God has honored and blessed men for saying, we're going to go take care of our past so that we can go forward in our future. And it's amazing what God has done because God has worked out what were really precarious situations in pretty awesome ways. Because even though we get brand new, we still have the ramifications of our lives. But as we become brand new, we look at those ramifications differently. We start saying, God, this is the scene of the discipleship that you're doing in my life. This is the place where your grace wants to be made manifest. And I think that's our biggest struggle, isn't it? When we're new creations, is to try and figure out what God is doing. I just read this this morning 
I didn't preach this last night, but I read this this morning, and I thought this was so powerful. Uh, Thomas Merton wrote this about the difference between the old man and the new man. And what, I want to read it because I think for some of us, we're new people, but we're still living like the old person. We still have old person ideas. Now, again, old and new, it's not like an age thing. It's not saying if you're older, you're old. It's not that. It's, it's a disposition of the heart based on the finished work of Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, for the old man, everything is old. He has seen everything or thinks he has. He has lost hope in anything new. What pleases him is the old he clings to, fearing to lose it, but he is certainly not happy with it. And so he keeps himself old and cannot change. He is not open to any newness. His life is stagnant and futile, and yet there may be much movement, but change that leads to no change. For the new man, everything is new. Even the old is transfigured in the Holy Spirit and is always new. There is nothing to cling to. There is nothing to be hoped for in what is already past. It is nothing. The new man is he who can find reality where it cannot be seen by the eyes of the flesh, where it is not yet, where it comes into being the moment he sees it and would not be, at least for him, if he did not see it. The new man lives in a world that is always being created and renewed. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? How many of us need Although we've been made new, are living like old people. Everything's old. There's no hope. Everything is, is grump-inducing. And there's no idea that God wants to transfigure what is old and make it perpetually fresh. How many of us are holding on to a past that we didn't enjoy because it's all we have to cling to instead of the newness of life? that is perpetually offered in Jesus. I love that idea that the new life is always new. It's not like I get saved and I got a new life and now my new life in Christ is getting old, but every day we're being renewed in our mind, becoming more and more childlike in our simplicity and faith because Jesus is always recreating and renewing our lives. That's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I think for many of us, we've received new life in Jesus but we're having it the old man life because we've been walking in the newness of life for so long where God wants to give us a radical hope. The ability to say, God, we see that you are doing something new in our midst, in our lives, in our relationships. How many of us in our marriages? It's so easy in our marriages to just get kind of apathetic in our relationship. You know them, you know what they're all about. They're good days and they're bad days when God wants that to be brand new. In your friendships, God wants to continually be breathing fresh life, new life into them. Could you imagine if God, if you allowed God to blossom lilies and roses and all these beautiful things in the garden of your relationships, all based on the newness of Jesus? See, that kind of life is exciting, isn't it? Because you, it never gets old. It never gets stagnant, even though it's the same person in the same situation. The cross wants to bring us new life, new creation. Now, look at how Paul ends this, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, 
peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Notice he ends with these three beautiful words, peace, mercy, and grace. As many as walk, according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon him. See, what it says is that if you follow Jesus, God will put you at peace with him, and then God will give you God's peace, which surpasses all understanding. God's shalom, not just calmness of mind and not just the cessation of hostilities, but the way things ought to be, total flourishing. God's peace and mercy. And that's what the cross is all about, isn't it? The fact that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gave what we deserve to Jesus so that we can have something else. Peace and mercy. And notice, and upon the Israel of God. Paul's so sly and subtle. Because it was about making them like the children of Israel. And he's like, no, 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 listen. If you're in Christ, you're spiritual Israel. You've entered into those who are governed by God. And then verse 17 is kind of funny to me. He's like, and from now on, let no one trouble me. Paul's like, okay, I'm done talking about this. That's what he says. He's like, look, no more talk about this circumcision, legalism stuff. I'm done with that business. Ain't no one got time for that. You know, and listen, I want to give you guys the liberty for some of us, things are in the past and people just want to bring it up all the time. You need to be willing to say, listen, man, that was a million years ago. Why are we living in yesterday when God wants to do something brand new right now? I'm not saying that we forget what happened. We have to learn from it. But sometimes people get stuck five years ago or 50 years ago and they live their whole lives there and you have to perpetually go over once again all the things that went on. Man, take the liberty to say, man, ain't no one got time. For I don't want to be trouble with this anymore. I was ancient history now. We're learning and growing from it, but that's over. The reason we get stuck on the past is because we're too scared to trust Jesus for the newness of today. That's why we do it. We need something to focus on because we're scared that God isn't going to do something extraordinary in us right here and right now. He's like, look, I don't want to be troubled about this anymore. We're not talking about circumcision and legalism anymore. He's like, why? For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, look, I got the scars from serving the Lord. And he talks about it in 2 Corinthians, how he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, and not with weed, with rocks, he was left for dead. For a brief second, I think about the Apostle Paul. In Philippi, literally, they tried to kill him. And they thought he was dead, they dragged him out of the city. And what did he do when he came to? He went back in. I think for some of us, serving Jesus is not easy. I think everyone's like, they just want to serve Jesus. They want it to be like slip and slide. It's hard. And I think what happens is, is as you serve Jesus, good things happen, bad things happen, things happen that don't meet our expectations. I think for a lot of us, the struggles in ministry have caused us to hit the brakes or go in a neutral or to put it in park on the side of the road. But because of the cross, when Paul got beat up, it gave him a stronger resolve to keep going. Reminds my buddy Levi Lusco out in Montana. He came out and preached a couple years back. Many of you remember his story. Six days before Christmas, 
his six-year-old daughter, Lenya, had a severe asthma attack and died in his arms. I mean, you don't even want to imagine it. And obviously, as friends of his, when we heard, we were shocked. We sent our love and our prayers. I remember getting to a, spend some time with Levi a couple months later. I said, buddy, how you doing? He's like, Daniel, this is the hardest thing I've ever experienced. He's like, but death happens because sin is real. And we're going to make Satan pay every day that he took our little girl. And it caused this young pastor and his bride to press in harder, to push through. And I wonder how many of us, the hurts and the issues of serving Jesus has caused us to back off. And I believe that Paul's saying, look, man, I got the marks of the Lord Jesus on my own body. That testimony of Paul just saying, you know what? No, I'm not going to back off. Yeah, it hurts. I got wounds. But I'm going to press on the gas harder. Because ain't no one got time. The world is in such need. The gospel needs to get out. Don't be in neutral on the side of the road. Let God, by his spirit, empower you to push forward with those scars, with those wounds. Because notice what he says in verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a powerful thing. I said, peace, mercy, and what? And grace. That's how Paul began the letter, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. All the way back in Galatians 1.30. Notice he says, grace beware with your spirit. It's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? You got to realize that we're spirit, soul, and body. And it's, it's as if Paul is saying, because of the finished work of Jesus, the spirit of God is shouting grace at that part of us that's eternal. See, for too many of us, we live from our bodies and the desires of our bodies, or we live based on our thought life or our emotions, knowing that the desires of our body, our emotions, and our thought life, they're our own personal Judases. They sell us out every day. The things we think are just wrong. The things we feel, they're wrong sometimes. The desires of our body sometimes are just wrong. But God wants to shout grace at the part of us that's eternal. So that grace now be the thing that drives our thoughts and drives our emotions and drives our bodies. The reality that God's riches came at the expense of Jesus. God's grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. No matter what you did or didn't do, no matter how bad you failed or were victorious, God's grace is for you because God is gracious. And God wants to shout that at the foundation of our lives that we might live as an overflow of grace. And when we do, the fruit of the Spirit is there. When we do, the works of the flesh are not because we're walking in the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, because Jesus is greater than everything, let's let the Spirit of God envelop our lives with peace, mercy, Jesus is real. I'm sure many of you who are listening today are both amazed 
and frustrated by the current political landscape. I always laugh at those t-shirts that people wear that tell you to vote for some alternative pop icon. So whether you're thinking about voting for Pedro or Eddie Vedder or anybody else, I had my team here at Crossroads create us some awesome t-shirts that communicate the real message of this voting season. We need to always remember that Jesus is in control and we can always count on him. So this month, we're offering a fun t-shirt for Jesus' Real Radio listeners that will really make a statement. It's pretty simple. It says, vote for Jesus. And when you join us by partnering with Jesus' Real Radio this month, everyone you pass by on the sidewalk will see your vote for Jesus t-shirt and know who you stand for and what life is really about. It's not a political candidate or party. It's the creator of the universe who loves us and calls us by name. Here's Josh with more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Through the month of October, we're offering each listener who supports Jesus is Real Radio their very own Vote for Jesus t-shirt with a gift of $25 or more. Remember, this isn't just a t-shirt. You'll be accomplishing two things. First, you'll be communicating to everyone around you that Jesus is who is foremost in your mind in these politically turbulent times. Second, your gift helps support Jesus is Real Radio. Every little bit of support that we receive helps us to maintain the reach of Jesus is Real Radio and even expand. So again, if you're listening today and you'd like to get your hands on a really cool t-shirt and help support Jesus is Real Radio, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner and then the big blue button that says T-Shirt Offer. There, you can give your donation of $25 or more to receive your Vote for Jesus t-shirt. Please remember to include the size of shirt that you'd like. We pray God's blessing upon you and join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real.